I can't stop thinking about them. I keep rereading their old texts. Brian, Brian, this has got to stop. It's been months and they send those alerts to everyone. You know that, right? Look, your bank is leaving, but you got to get back out there. Listen to me, any bank will be lucky to have you, especially Bank of Ireland. Really? Yeah, they've even put together a simple step-by-step guide to move on banks and have a dedicated team on hand to help. Even an ending could be a new beginning. To start finding your new banking partner, download our step-by-step guide to moving banks. Search Bank of Ireland Big Move. Begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. The last word on Today FM with Matt Cooper. Now, you're very welcome back to The Last Word. Frank Graney here filling in on the show for Matt Cooper this evening. And it's the last item on a Wednesday, so that means it's time to introduce the latest inductee to The Last Word's Culture Club. And I'm delighted to welcome renowned actor, playwright and critically acclaimed author, Lisa Harding. Good evening, Lisa. Hi, Frank. Lovely to be here. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. And I must say, I'm really looking forward to taking a leisurely stroll through all of your cultural choices with you. But before we get stuck in, I'd love to hear all about your new novel, uh, Bright Burning Things. Your first book was a huge success, Harvesting. That was about sex trafficking. And this is about addiction. And it's a story that Mm -hmm. centres on the chaotic life of your protagonist, Sonia. Can you tell us about her? And I'm really interested in knowing how Sonia came to you. Right. So Sonia is, as you say, she is um, an alcoholic. She is a former actress. I am a former actress and she is also a single mother. I'm not I'm not a mother. Um, But Sonia is when we meet her in the novel, she's kind of at a, a point of high crisis. And she has a little son called Tommy, who's five and a rescue dog called Herbie. But how she came to me, she's kind of a composite of, I guess, many people that I know and love in my life and elements of myself. I mean, the, the element of the actress who's no longer acting and that thwarted creative impulse and the kind of, you know, the drama and danger that goes with that. Um, I was interested in the addictive impulse and how it can attach and latch itself onto different things. So, you know, it, it, it can very much be a charge, the acting charge. And then, you know, I think Sonia is addicted to adrenaline and the, the highs of performing. And then when that's gone, she kind of needs something to both recreate that high and also to try to soothe herself. And that's when she turns to alcohol. So when we meet her, it is very much at a point point of crisis for her and her her little family. And, and how did you get into writing? As I said, this is uh, your second novel. I suppose you were probably best known to our listeners as playing Connie in, in Fair City. But you've also, of course, walked the boards at the gate and the Abbey, uh, to name but a few. How did the writing bug bite you? I think, I mean, like writing when I was younger was, you know, always the thing I loved so much in school. But I became, I never thought I was going to be an actress. I was very shy and I was quite a, an anxious actress. But when when I was in college, I just started to do a lot of stuff in players and got an agent and it kind of happened. Um, you know, the performance element took over. But to be honest, it's quite a number of years. Like it is, I think it's seven years since I've actually been on stage. And it's, it feels like a whole other life now. You know, the last seven years I've been sitting on my own room for the majority of it, creating these characters. Um, but it, there's a real crossover. The reason I started to write, I think, was mainly frustration. The way the acting career wasn't quite going the way I wanted it to. And um, I needed somewhere to put that impulse, you know. And I think I was lucky because the 
as I say, the creative charge is quite similar for me. Like I do tend to write in a, you know, the first person voice driven narrative. So it's very similar to creating characters. And I did segue from being on stage to writing for the stage, to writing short stories, to then writing novels. So yeah, so far it's all first person, which Mm. is kind of interesting. And I'd love to ask you quickly before we uh, get stuck in, you know, what is your process? What does your process look like? Um, you know, was this something that was written during lockdown? Obviously, it would have been quite restricted as to where you could go for inspiration. How does that inspiration come to you? Are you sitting in your room every day just in front of a mm. computer hoping it will come to you? Yeah, I can I'm te- I can kind of write anywhere, really. I'm lucky like that. But my general kind of routine is I get up and I have to go out and I exercise first thing because I can't just get out of bed and sit at the desk. And then, yeah, I tend to work at home. And this Bright Burning Things was like that was finished about, I'd say, a year and a half ago. You know, it takes a, there's a long lead in time for a novel to be published. So I've written during lockdown, I've written another, uh, well, a draft of a very messy first draft of a new novel a campus kind of cult almost psychological thriller novel but I think I it's funny because I was you know talking to a lot of my friends who are writers and and performers and obviously they're not performing now and there is a certain madness in the air isn't there if you can't do what you're meant to do Mm -hmm. so I feel lucky that I am able to kind of channel that you know that creative impulse now into my characters but it's kind of method writing for me I do think I feel like I climb into the shoes of the character and it's the voice that leads me you know into the world I never think about plot and that's why I make these wonderful messes and then I have to clean them up <laughs> the pen <laughs> like... the pen and the blank page can take you to wonderful places I'm sure um yeah let's talk about let's talk about music then and the first music single that you ever bought Lisa can you remember what that was I can. And it was Love Cats by The Cure. And I, I have you now really strong memories. It was quite retro. But when when I was in Wesley, like you know, when I was around 14 or 15, this was a song and it was always played. It's a wonderful song. It's so bonkers. And I don't think we fully even knew what it was about. You know, all the screeching cats. And I remember the weird video, the cats and the mm-hmm. and the mansion. And But I do remember having, you know, yeah, some my first slow dance to the love cats and it being kind of suitably gloomy and performative and, you know, it really suited my melancholic teenage self. Um, but I, yeah, and I, I remember being in Golden Discs in Grafton Street and, you know, that was the thing then we'd go into Grafton Street and get our McDonald's and go to Golden Discs. And that is such a great single, well, such a great track. Music has uh, a great ability to bring people back. So let's do just that. Let's bring you back to your teenage years in Wesley Disco. This is Love Cats by The Cure.
got such an interesting and, and varied <laughs> taste in music, Lisa. And um, I'm interested in knowing your favourite band. Um, I know you've got several mm. that you like to listen to, but if you had to pick one. It's impossible for me. And it's hilarious because it depends on my mood. I go and, and, or, or. But I, I think I did. I mean, look. I know my favorite album and then I was kind of backtracking. I think my favorite band though is um, Massive Attack. I think, I mean, there are so many of them. Um, like I swing from Leonard Cohen, Nick Cave, Morchiba, Kate Bush, Massive Attack, Eminem. It's, you know, I'm all over the place, but Massive <laughs> Attack, yeah. Um, that, you know, uh, Blue Lines, that was pretty extraordinary and um, Unfinished Sympathy, I think, you know, that track. We actually um, have a clip and, and we'll play that. Uh, ah. It's Unfinished Sympathy uh, by Massive Attack. mentioned um, Blue Lines by Massive Attack as one of your go-to albums but if you had to pick a favourite what would that be Lisa? A favourite album I think um, Murder Ballads by Nick Cave and the Bad Seas that because that featured PJ Harvey and Shane McGowan and Kylie um, and that amazing song you know Where the Wild Roses Grow with Kylie it kind of cast her in a whole other light for me it's such it's such a beautiful I don't know if you have that one we do. Let's play a small clip from it. And the, the video as well was quite striking. Um, very, yeah. very artistic and creative in itself. And I wonder, were you a fan of that too? I was. And the whole idea, I mean, it's very dark, isn't it? Mm. It's this kind of romantic, um, it is effectively based on the Willow Garden, the traditional song, or down in the Willow Garden, I think. And it, it is about a man who's courting a woman who, who kills her while courting her. So it's the kind of the, you know, this extraordinary love, this, this, this love that is all consuming and but yeah i think um that 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 the um the aesthetic the moody aesthetic it's so it's so theatrical as well yeah. isn't it it's got that wonderful quality nick cave always does and storytelling quality as well Let, let's kylie have a listen was, she, yeah, she amazing. is she is and and we have kylie minogue and nick cave here this is where the wild roses grow Stayed in my eyes 
Missing uh, live gigs these days, uh, Lisa. Um, over the weekend, there. Yes, sir. Oh, ab- yeah. a- absolutely. And fingers crossed over the coming months now, we- we'll get to experience them in some shape or form. I know mm. I've booked tickets to a couple of gigs later this year and, and next year. Thank I'm lo- really looking forward to attending those. The best concert you, you were ever at, uh, Lisa, what was that? It was um, at the Barbican. And it was Goran Bregovic, who is, he's a, um, a a composer, he's a Balkan composer, and um, he composes a lot of, you know, Costa Rica's scores for his films, Underground, Black Cat, White Cat, Time the Gypsies, and I really wanted to see him, and I got to see him, I think it was around, I can't remember, it was early 2000s when I was living in London, but it was absolutely extraordinary, because he's it's so eclectic and his show was really theatrical and he had a Russian male choir, Bulgarian singers, a string quartet, his own wedding and funeral band, um, flugel horns, trumpeteers, like the whole thing. But I remember thinking I've never experienced anything like it where it was like, it was, you know, the whole, um, the Barbican itself was completely charged and all of the different parts, it was so eclectic. All of the different kind of instruments were talking to each other. It was like a musical score. You know, mm. it was like there was actually a, it was really incredible. I, I absolutely adore his music and, you know, that kind of gypsy Balkan, you know, wedding band thing. It's, it's, it's great if you want to get your spirits up, I've found in COVID, I often put them on and dance around. Do you know what? We could we could all do it a bit of dancing around and, and certainly a lifting yeah. of spirits. So let's let's have a listen. This is a live version of Gas Gas by Goran Bregovic, his gas, wedding and yeah. funeral orchestra and a host of others. I'd never, I'd never heard of Goran Bregovic before. Have you not? You I always makes say, me laugh. Oh, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's such an interesting sound, and I'd say that was some yeah. crack to uh, to see those guys live. It must have been absolutely it was fantastic. And also, you know, at the Barbican, I was used to going to things where we'd all sit down and it'd be quite straight laced. The London audience, everybody was up on their right. feet, cheering and stamping, and yeah, it was it was brilliant. It was he he is kind of madcap and makes a lot of noise. Yeah, know, that, that yeah, sound. and and. Music and dance is certainly a great leveller. So it's great to hear everyone was up out of their seats. Let's continue. What is your favourite, your all-time favourite movie, Lisa? I'm sure you have uh, lots of choices (laughs) running around your head there, but if you had to choose one, what would it be? 
Yeah, this was kind of easier than the others, you know, all-time favourite book and all that. Uh, Underground, which is a Costa Rica, Emir Costa Rica film, and it is scored by Bregovich. So, um, again, it's that kind of madcap, surreal, bonkers world. It's set in 1941 in Belgrade, and it starts, like, it's completely anarchic. It starts when um, the German bombs fall on the city, and it shouldn't be hilarious, but it's absolutely hilarious. Like it's this total black comedy about these two marketeers, but it has this, it's actually less about narrative than the feel and the texture and music is as much a character, you know, in, in the film and the aesthetic sensibility. But, you know, I also chose Delicatessen, which has that kind of suit, similar, like bonkers aesthetic and the soundscape is extraordinary but underground i watched it recently you can't get it on netflix or now tv or anything but you can get it on um easterneuropeanmovies.com and it is well worth it it's a sumptuous feast and it's hilarious as well as obviously it's dealing you know with war but it's dealing with love and friendship and um celebration and the the title underground they are all they all live underground and it spans decades um but, I'd imagine yeah. if Goran Bregovich has anything to do with it, the score is quite interesting as well. Yeah, the score is extraordinary. It really is. And the opening sequence of that film, like I've watched it so many times, the bombs have fallen and the, the, the city is in absolute, you know, it's chaos. But this incredible music, that, that Bregovich music playing out over this kind of, you know, epic destruction and all these animals get out of a zoo. It's just, the whole thing is bonkers, but <laughs> absolutely beautiful and really worth watching. Um, Anything recently that has caught your eye? Yeah, I did. Um, I loved um, A Promising Young Woman. Um, I mean, love is probably the wrong word, but it has, it's a very dark comedy about a very serious subject. And I think the handling of it, like it's razor sharp. It's funny and it shouldn't be. Again, I do love that, you know, that kind of quality of, oops, I shouldn't be laughing here. But, you know, it's ultimately a revenge um, tragedy. Yeah. And, it's got that surreal quality as it, well. It's on. I haven't seen it yet, but it is top yeah. of my uh, watch list. And we're going to play a short clip from a scene uh, from Promising Young Woman. Uh, Cassie Thomas, played by Carrie Mulligan, reminds uh, Dean Elizabeth Walker, played by Connie Britton, in this clip that she had previously dismissed a rape allegation by one of her students. Have a listen. You felt there wasn't sufficient evidence. You said it was too much of a he said, she said situation. Well... You know, we get accusations like this all the time. One or two a week. I'm sorry I don't remember your friend Nina, but I can assure you at that time that I looked into it thoroughly. His friends were all watching, laughing. It's so hard. But you know, also if she was drinking and, and maybe couldn't remember everything. So she shouldn't have been drunk. I'm not saying that. I, sorry, I don't, I don't mean to sound critical, Dean Walker. I just want to be clear. None of us want to admit when we've made ourselves vulnerable, when we've made a bad choice. And those choices, those mistakes can be so damaging and really regrettable. Regrettable? Yes, I mean, because what would you have me do? Ruin a young man's life every time we get an accusation like this? So you're happy to take the boy's word for it? I have to give him the benefit of the doubt. Of course you do. Because innocent until proven guilty. No arguing with that. No. Thank you for your time. Is your friend okay? No, she's not. 
But Al Monroe is. You'll be glad to hear he's doing really well. He's getting married, actually. So, you know, I guess he did the right thing. Lisa, how exciting is it to have both of your books? We spoke a little bit earlier about um, about your new book, Bright Burning Things, and your first novel, Harvesting. And both of them have been optioned as movies. That must mm-hmm. be very exciting. Yeah, it's exciting. It's also a long process to get anything made. It's 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 wonderful. Like the first one, Harvesting, I'm co-writing with the director of the Dairy Girls, uh, Michael Lennox. Mm-hmm. And we're handing in, we're at the, the point now where we're handing in a draft to the British Film Institute. The second one has just been optioned. So, you know, we haven't even discussed who's going to direct it or... Um, but yeah, it's it's an amazing process. And it's not something, you know, when you set out to write a novel, you don't think oh, this could become a film. But I mean, I think they both are very visual and it's probably my background. You know, it's probably the way I write. It's, um, there's a, I use a lot of dialogue and I think, yeah, certainly the producer who's, who's he's optioned both my books. He, he said they're very filmic. Thankfully for me, yeah. <laughs> and know, and, but, and yeah. I suppose it is and, and perhaps the process has been frustrated by the pandemic but have you been given any indication uh, as to when we might see harvesting on the big screen or bright burning things where is that at? I know you can't reveal too much about that optioning no we can't and the thing is no I mean you're right everything has been quite stalled the, the it's getting the the script to you know a, the, the shooting level I'd say I'd say we're talking next year I hope with harvesting, I think that's kind of where we're aiming for. It could be 23. Bright burning things, I have no idea. There's kind of talk of, you know, it's going to America and we're, yeah. So that could be, uh, that could that could take longer. Um, I really don't know. Yeah. It's a, it's a long process. You have to have patience and faith, I yeah. think. You know, some films, it takes seven years mm. to get made. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm really interested in asking about your favourite play, theatre show, musical given, I suppose, your background, um, you know, in the theatre. What have you Mm. gone for? Yeah, that changes every day too. But no, I did go for Tennessee Williams. I think ultimately he is so, the sensibility again, it's very heightened and very dramatic and, you know, the deep south, it's very beautiful. And I played in um, the Glass Menagerie when I was younger. I always loved Laura, very dysfunctional families, funny, you know, very heightened, very, very sentimental, actually. And then I also love Chekhov and Ibsen and, you know, the Russian masters. And I love that dark comedy characters kind of in mourning for their lives and wishing they were somewhere else and yearning. And we do it brilliantly in Ireland, too, of course. You know, we have Ocasian. But it's very hard for me to kind of alight on one favourite playwright. But I think Tennessee Williams is the one who's been the most... um, He's had the greatest influence on me, I guess, you know. Okay, and and you did mention the glass menagerie, so let's Mm. play a clip from that. I think that you're doing things that you're ashamed of. That's why you act this way. I don't believe you go every night to the movies. Nobody goes to the movies night after night. Nobody in their right minds goes to the movies as often as you pretend to. People don't go to the movies at nearly midnight. And movies don't let out at 2 a.m. You come in stumbling, muttering to yourself like a maniac. You get three hours sleep and, and, and then you go to work. Oh, I can just picture how you're doing down there. Moping and doping because you're in no condition. Yes, that's true. That's very, very true. I'm in no condition. How dare you jeopardize your job. Jeopardize our security. 
How do you think we manage? Mother, 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 do you think I'm crazy about the warehouse? Do you think I'm in love with the continental shoemakers? Do you think I want to spend the next 55 years of my life down there in that subtle interior with fluorescent tubes? Honest to God, I'd rather somebody picked up a crowbar and battered out my brains than go back morning. But I go. Every time you come and yell in that bloody rise and shine, rise and shine, I think how lucky dead people are. Do you miss the stage, uh, Lisa? Because I read somewhere recently that you once described acting as your addiction. You know, how, how do you mm. how do you scratch that itch now, now that you're focused on on writing and, and getting those movies across the line? No, I do miss it. I do miss it. Although I, d- I have also said it wasn't very good for me. You know, the lifestyle, like the the, all the, the huge amounts of waiting and constantly being judged. And, you know, it, you have very little power, really. It, so I think I do miss it. I miss absolutely miss the camaraderie and, and as I said before, the high of performing, um, and being with other people and the live charge of performance with an audience. There's there's nothing like it. But I I think on balance I can still get a kind of a weird hit when I write. Mm. Um, my I do like I do as the I say I do in your head, I suppose. Yeah, and and also look as as a writer we do get you know, you do get to kind of go on stage. Not at the moment, unfortunately, there's no literary festivals, but they're wonderful. And I've gone to them for years and you do get to be on stage. You get to read your work and you get to talk about your work, meet other writers. So um, never say never, though. Mm. You know, I mean, Blanche Dubois, so funny listening to that, that the monstrous mother in them, in, you know, I've forgotten about how monstrous Tennessee Williams' mothers are, but he's so melodramatic, that, that particular clip. I was kind of laughing, thinking, gosh, the way we played it was more subtle than that, mm-hmm. actually, funnily. So, um, but yeah, I think my my writing has a, a little bit of that, that kind of theatrical quality, you know. Yeah, and I was I was going to ask you what, what influenced your writing, but I think you've summed it up nicely there. But maybe I'll move on by asking what your favourite book is, your favourite author. Mm. So that changes all the time. But I OK, I, I have read of all the books you know, that I've read the most, it's The Secret History by Donna Tart. She's not necessarily my favourite author, funnily, because I wouldn't kind of love all the rest of her books, but I think that book is perfect. You know, I love the campus novel. Um, it's It's got that Richard Pappen, the kind of the lonely narrator. It's set in the in the posh campus in Vermont. It's got the murder. I don't know if you've read it, but it's, it's really, no. it's a thrilling novel. And, and it, it's got, you know, it's like we're kind of the readers being given membership of a select group by going to this, you know, this very elite college and it's obsessed with ancient Greece. And it, um, it just has all the kind of the qualities, I think, that makes a great novel. It's beautifully written at the level of the sentence, but she also gets you turning the page, wanting to know. It's kind of amazing because she has a prologue where she tells us, you know, a murder has happened. So it's not so much... The, the like what happens as as in why so it's kind of psychologically very rich but I've read it a few times and I read it again actually in lockdown I think I've I've written my first campus novel it's, it's not the secret history but you know I, I just I love that where everything is hypersaturated with hormones and everything is really you know when you're 19 everything is kind of it's just life is so I guess it is super saturated at that age, isn't it? So mm. it's, it's a great thing to write about. Let's listen to um, the author, Donna Tarsh. This is her reading from the audiobook of The Secret History. 
The snow in the mountains was melting, and Bunny had been dead for several weeks before we came to understand the gravity of our situation. He'd been dead for ten days before they found him, you know. It was one of the biggest manhunts in Vermont history. State troopers, the FBI, even an army helicopter. The college closed, the dye factory in Hampton shut down, people coming from New Hampshire, upstate New York, as far away as Boston. It is difficult to believe that Henry's modest plan could have worked so well, despite these unforeseen events. We hadn't intended to hide the body where it couldn't be found. In fact, we hadn't hidden it at all, but had simply left it where it fell, in hopes that some luckless passerby would stumble over it before anyone even noticed he was missing. We're almost out of time, uh, Lisa, but I do want to ask you about um, your favourite TV show because it seems that your taste in television is just as varied as some of your other cultural choices. Yeah, so two, if I'm allowed to say there's two. So Stitzel, which is, um, it is a, a family drama and succession, which probably most people have been obsessed with. And they're completely contrasting. So Stitzel is set in the ultra-Orthodox Jewish community um, and it is, the, I think, the, the Haredi, which literally means tremble before God. So it is a dysfunctional family drama playing out, right? But the, it's against that very spiritual background. And there are the core values of family, community, identity, belonging, all those things. There's real goodness at its heart, even though it is, you know, it is dysfunctional. And it doesn't shy away from the kind of restraints of living within a community like that. But succession, on the other hand, is, is the filthy rich, you know, the top 1%. And it's utterly morally bankrupt and it's absolutely wonderful. And I'm, I actually haven't finished watching it. I have to watch the last episode of season two tonight. So I'm dying to see it, but it's, have you seen a uh, succession? I yourself? haven't. No, no, I haven't. Oh, I haven't watched it yet. It, yeah. Both of them are absolute treats. Like, that's the thing succession. there's just so much choice out there my watch list is yeah. as long as my arm and I never get to see everything yeah no it really is extraordinary it's um it's got it all it's got the boardroom satans and you know the media tycoons and the, the dreadful tyrant father and the, the siblings the fighting for power and dominance and but it's absolutely hilarious like it's one of the most cynical shows there are no redeeming features there's no heart and usually I like something that has you know a bit of heart there is no heart but I think that's what makes it so absolutely bitingly brilliant Stitzel on the other hand is full of heart you know but at their core they are kind of family dramas playing out against very very different backgrounds and very brilliant tv and amazing amazing writing and acting and production values in both OK, um, we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, Lisa Harding, I, I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed our chat. Thank you so much for taking us on your cultural journey. And as Father Ted once said, good luck with the book. Um, Bright Thank Burning you. Things is out now. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, it has been uh, optioned as a movie. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Listen live on air from 4.30 weekdays on Today FM. I can't stop thinking about them. I keep rereading their old texts. Brian, Brian, this has got to stop. It's been months and they send those alerts to everyone. You know that, right? Look, your bank is leaving, but you got to get back out there. Listen to me. Any bank will be lucky to have you, especially Bank of Ireland. 
Really? Yeah, they've even put together a simple step-by-step guide to move on banks and have a dedicated team on hand to help. Even an ending could be a new beginning. To start finding your new banking partner, download our step-by-step guide to moving banks. Search Bank of Ireland Big Move. Begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland.